Our um, Bible reading, as Ian said, will be from General chapter 10, page 634 in your Red Pew Bibles. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true and concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the banks of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking as I listened to him. I fell into a deep sleep my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face towards the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked at like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him.
Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> I think someone thought I was lost earlier on. <clears throat> I had uh, little Alice came out the back and said, you're wanted inside. <laughs> and I thought, uh, oh, timing must have been bad because uh, I thought I had plenty of time before the sermon. But uh, I'm just taking opportunities when I'm not uh, leading services to... Uh, uh, fellowship with uh, the folk from the nine o'clock service over uh, coffee, not just because I like coffee, but uh, because uh, it's important to fellowship with people uh, in that particular congregation. Well, let's uh, bow before we uh, come to consider God's word. Father, thank you for uh, giving us your word. Thank you that your word, uh, though written such a long time ago, speaks so clearly and relevantly to our lives uh, now. And uh, Father, we do pray that as we uh, consider uh, this passage from Scripture this morning, that you would give us uh, spiritual insight and understanding, and Father, that it would translate through into our lives, that uh, we would be people who live faithfully for you. We pray, ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last year, <clears throat> there was an election in Zimbabwe. Well, there was sort of an election in Zimbabwe, to put it more accurately. Uh, listen to what uh, Robert Mugabe said uh, at a rally just prior to the election. He said this, and I quote, he said, We will never allow an, an event like an election to reverse our independence, our sovereignty, our sweat and all that we fought for. End of quote. Now, on the one hand, it sounds very patriotic that he's uh, really in favour of independence and sovereignty, he's all in favour of what everyone fought for in the past and so on. But when I heard that statement, I thought this, that is code for saying, I'm not going to let an irrelevant thing like democracy uh, remove me from office. And uh, to be uh, on the safe side, of course... Uh, Robert Mugabe, he did actually want to win the election, if he could, so it would look all right. But uh, he embarked on a, an unleashed a campaign of terror against those who opposed him. Uh, you'll recall from the newspapers that uh, thousands of people were intimidated, that uh, people were brutally tortured, and indeed a lot of people were in fact murdered. Some of the opposition leaders had to seek sanctuary in nearby countries like South Africa. Now, what hope is there that such a man as that <clears throat> would ever be removed from office? Well, Mugabe himself unwittingly answered that question. Uh, there was another meeting that he addressed, a meeting of business people <clears throat> before the election, and uh, this was what he was reported as saying to them, and, he, and I quote, he said, "'Only God who appointed me will remove me, end of quote. Now, how about that? Only God will remove me. I wonder, do you think he might have been reading through the book of Daniel before he made that statement? Uh, I, I somehow doubt that he did, but as we've been reading through Daniel over these last uh, couple of months, one of the take-home messages has been that every ruler will one day be humbled by God. Every ruler, every human ruler. 
Now today we come to the last three chapters of Daniel. We're going to wrap the series up this morning. And I must admit it is a lot to cover in one sermon. Uh, Not just because it's three chapters, but because these chapters happen to be amongst the most difficult chapters in the book of Daniel. But nevertheless, chapters 10, 11 and 12 form one unit. Uh, They are in fact uh, about one final dramatic vision which uh, God gave to Daniel. And uh, these are chapters about... um, about politics, uh, chapters about uh, kings, about wars, about the suffering of God's faithful people. Uh, These are chapters that point to ultimate reality as well. And so they are very important chapters. Uh, Here we have uh, a timeless message. It is a message that you and I need to hear and you and I need to grasp and make our own. So let's launch into uh, this uh, wrapping up of the book of Daniel. If you open up your Bibles to uh, chapter 10 of Daniel on page 634, uh, verse 1 of 10 sets the scene for us. We're told that the Persian king Cyrus was in his third year of his rule. Now that is important because uh, we know from other Uh, records that in the first year of Cyrus's rule that he released the uh, captives in Babylon that they could return to Jerusalem to rebuild their city. And so, in other words, the exile was now over. Uh, Daniel, for reasons that are not stated for us, had remained in Babylon, but Daniel knew he would have known of what was happening back in Jerusalem. Daniel would have known that uh, the Jews who had returned were doing it tough. Uh, Not only had they returned to a city that was in ruins and trying to eke out an existence in that context, but uh, we know that they faced severe opposition uh, from the Gentiles who lived uh, around about uh, that area. Uh, We certainly know that uh, from uh, other books in the Bible, such as Nehemiah and uh, and so on. And construction had stopped. There was a period of time where they had actually had to lay down tools and they'd ceased construction. Now, Daniel would have known this, and Daniel would have known that his people uh, returned to Jerusalem were actually suffering. And so in verse 2, we're told that Daniel... Uh, denied himself for three weeks of some of the luxuries of life. He didn't fast entirely from food, but he he denied himself eating meat. He denied himself uh, drinking wine. And interestingly, he um, denied himself uh, the use of uh, lotions, uh, which seems a little bit sort of out of place. But when you think about it, the fact of the matter is that he was living in a very dry desert environment and uh, skin lotions were actually one of those important things. But then in verse 5, he's by the Tigris River, which incidentally uh, runs through modern-day Baghdad, when a heavenly man appears to him. Now, I want to focus on this heavenly man for a few moments. 
Uh, Look at how he's described. Uh, We see in verses 5 and 6. I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Now, who is this man? Uh, Well, we're actually not told his exact identity, but I want to suggest something to you. Uh, in Revelation chapter 1, when, the, when John had a vision of Jesus, uh, he described Jesus in a particular way. Now, listen to what I'm saying, but have your eyes on verses 5 and 6, this man who appeared to, uh, to Daniel. Because in Revelation chapter 1, when John had his vision of Jesus, he was described as being like a son of man. We've heard that from Daniel, haven't we? Dressed in a robe with a golden sash around his chest, eyes like blazing fire, feet were like bronze, and whose voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Now, do you see the similarities? <laughs> very, very similar to uh, this, this, this man, this being who appeared before Daniel. And it's because of that that some, and I guess I put myself in this category, would suggest that what uh, Daniel had here was an interaction with uh, Jesus himself. Uh, It's not stated explicitly in the passage, but uh, that seems to be the case. Now, some people say, well, if the resurrected Jesus appeared before me, then I would believe in him that he was resurrected. Well, I think they don't have a particularly high view of the holiness of God at that point, uh, because if God were to appear before you in the person of his son, Jesus... Uh, it would actually be a, uh, an experience that uh, may not be what you actually figured that it would be. Uh, look what it was like for Daniel. In verse 8, it says that he was sapped of his strength, that his face turned pale, it was white, like death. That's how it affected him. In verse 11, we're told that he was trembling, In verse 15, he was speechless. In verse 17, he couldn't breathe. Uh, That's how it affected him. But this man, this heavenly man, comforted and strengthened Daniel. Now, we see that in verses 17 and 18. Let me read that for you. In verse 17, it says... Daniel says to him, How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord since you have given me strength. So this heavenly man was loving and was gentle and uh, strengthened and calmed Daniel's fears. Now, before we move on to what the heavenly man actually said to Daniel in terms of the vision, there is something uh, in chapter 10 which, which is very intriguing 
and which is very important for us to understand. Have a look at verses 12 to 14. In verse 12, uh, the heavenly man continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. Now, the question is, what is going on here? Um, Who is this prince of the Persian kingdom? Uh, Who is this Michael, who is described as being the prince of, uh, the the chief of princes? Uh, Or if you have to look down in verse 21, this Michael is described to Daniel as being your prince. And who is this prince of Greece that we read about in verse 20? Well, in the New Testament, Michael is the archangel. Uh, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, uh, we're told that the archangel Michael and the, the other angels uh, that are with him are described as, as being engaged in fighting a spiritual war in the heavenlies. And and that's actually what we see here in Daniel 10, 11 and 12. In Daniel 10, uh, these are not earthly princes that are being referred to, but these are spiritual beings. That is, there is a conflict in the heavenly realms, a conflict between Satan, the evil one, and his angels, and God and his angels. And we see that in other parts of the Bible as well. The book of Job, for example, we read about the interaction between God and and, uh, Satan in the heavenly realms that is played out in the life of Job. That's just one example. But there is a conflict in the heavenly realms, and the conflict in the heavenly realms is played out in this world. Now, there is a lot of uh, interest in uh, the supernatural these days, and you see that in a whole variety of different forms. So it's a pretty kind of groovy thing these days to go along to the mind, body, spirit expos. Do we still have one here in Port Macquarie? I don't think so. They canned that a few years ago. But uh, I'll go up the coast, Lismore, that'd be a good place to go for one. Um, so any Lismore people? <laughs> Okay, you know, people go along these things because it's trendy, it's cool, and and I I guess we'd look at it and we'd say a lot of it's nonsense, but the reality is that some of it's true. People are wanting to cross over and they're wanting to, you know, communicate with the other side and all of this sort of thing. And when when you mess around with those kind of spiritualities, when you get involved in what is essentially the occult, you're playing with fire. You're playing with fire because this world is not merely a physical existence. There is a whole spiritual reality. But typically, the spiritual warfare 
is played out in what we would consider to be some of the ordinary events of life, uh, in the, the ways that we attempted. Uh, it is played out in sin. It is played out in the, the struggles that we are engaged in in this physical world and in our lives. And that is why uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 that the Apostle Paul says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rather our struggle is against the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That that is what we are facing, that is what we are engaged in. That what we see is very physical, but is actually part of a bigger conflict in the supernatural spiritual world. And so therefore, Paul says, therefore, put on the whole armour of God. And there's a whole sermon to be had in that. And so in Daniel chapter 10, this man from God, who I suggest is perhaps Jesus, has revealed to Daniel the heavenly warfare which is being played out in the events of the politics of the time in terms of Greece and Persia and, 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 Asia, and, and Israel. Now, all of this is very important when we come to chapter 11, which we'll do so now. Uh, and to be frank, chapter 11 is uh, its probably not the easiest passage in the Bible to wrap your head around. Uh, the man from heaven brings to Daniel a story about future history, especially wars. Now, we could spend hours on this, and I've got to be honest, in one sense I'd like to, <laughs> uh, but I fear if we did that we would actually start to lose sight of the wood for the trees. We'd get so much into the, into the detail. So let me try to explain it as simply as I can. Chapter 11 is a sketch of the political and military conflicts which would impact Israel in the centuries to come from Daniel's perspective, from where he stood in history. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw some stuff on the overhead here, which I think might be helpful. So just bear with me for a moment. Okay, is that reasonably clear up at the back? Reasonably clear. Don can see it. That's good. Okay. Let's have a look at uh, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 11. Uh, this is the message that the heavenly man has for Daniel. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will appear in Persia, and then a fourth who will be far richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire 
will be uprooted and given to others. Now, let's see where this uh, fits into history. Uh, historically, the, uh, the wealthy Persian king who came at the end of that, uh, uh, there was uh, three more kings in Persia and then a fourth. So this fourth Persian king, uh, the scholars say that historically he can be identified with Xerxes I. Now, the Bible scholars amongst you may remember that Xerxes I was married to someone in the Bible. Can you remember who? Esther. That's right. Uh, they think that this might have been Esther's husband because uh, he decided that he was going to stir up, historically he decided he was going to stir up everyone against Greece and he went in and sort of had a, had a go there and uh, was bruised in the process. But um, the mighty Greek king is quite clearly Alexander the Great. Now, Alexander the Great established what was... Uh, at his time, the greatest kingdom, the greatest empire that the world had ever seen. Uh, he, he was a Macedonian, but he started off there in, uh, in, in Greece and he travelled across uh, that area there and, and conquered Asia Minor, uh, which is Turkey and so on these days, uh, headed across into the Middle East, so Israel and uh, countries around Syria, etc., etc. Then he just kept on going further and further east. He took over what was the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire. Uh, do you see how far he, he got down to? He got down to the Punjab in India and actually um, uh, took over areas around there in India. I mean, that was... He wanted to take over the whole world as, as he knew the world. Uh, he also went south uh, down into North Africa and he conquered, uh, conquered Egypt. As I said, it was the uh, greatest empire that the world had ever known. But uh, he died at a young age. Peter told us a few weeks ago that he died from a mozzie bite. You remember that? That's one thing I remember about Peter's sermon. A mozzie bite... A mosquito killed the greatest emperor that had existed at that time, <clears throat> possibly malaria. And after he died, he didn't have, a, uh, didn't have a, an, an heir, a, a descendant. And so what happened is they split up, uh, his kingdom was split up into four smaller empires, which is what uh, Daniel chapter 11 says. And uh, those small empires, you've got a very small one up there, the blue one, which is Greece. Uh, this one, the purple one's Macedonia. And then you've got this huge empire there and this smaller empire down there. Now, it's these two empires that feature uh, in Daniel chapter 11. The, um, <clears throat> the empires that were... Uh, that, that developed from Alexander's empire were controlled by uh, his generals and uh, their families and their descendants. And so this, this northern kingdom was uh, controlled by a general called Seleucus and that, that became the Seleucid Empire and uh, this one here was the, controlled by Ptolemy 
and uh, that became the Ptolemaic uh, kingdom. Uh, all of the women uh, that were part of the, the uh, sort of royal line there were all called Cleopatra, by the way. Now, what um, chapter 11 does is chapter 11 prophesies in detail how those two kingdoms were going to battle it out for supremacy. Right? And guess which little nation was the meat in the sandwich? Right on the border there, Israel. Okay? The meat in the sandwich. Now, the historians tell us that the details about the conflicts between those two empires, uh, which are foretold in verses 5 through to 20 of chapter 11, are astonishingly accurate. They match historical events. But in verse 21 of chapter 11, the prophecy zeroes in on one specific Seleucid ruler and his name, we've talked about him before, Antiochus IV. He also liked to be known as Epiphanes. You know why? Epiphanes means God made manifest. Humble fellow, wasn't he? <laughs> right? Now in verse 29... Uh, the man from heaven told Daniel that this particular king, who is identified as being Antiochus, who we, are, we would identify as being Antiochus, that this particular king, on one occasion that he was going to try to invade the southern kingdom, the Ptolemaic kingdom, and that he would lose. But look at what it says in verse 30. Let me read it for you. Verse 30, ships of the western coastlands will oppose him and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favour to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burnt or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. Now, you see, historically what happened was that uh, when Antiochus uh, lost uh, in that uh, attempt to invade the south, that uh, rumours spread that he had been killed, actually assassinated. And uh, some of the Jews decided, well, this is probably a good opportunity to break away, to rebel and to assert our, our autonomy. And so that's what they tried to do. But the truth was that Antiochus had not died. And so on his way back home, feeling pretty cheesed off that he'd lost in any case, 
and passing through uh, the area of the Jews, he decided to vent his anger and bring them into line. And look what he did. He stormed Jerusalem, and that's uh, prophesied uh, in general terms in chapter 11, verse 28. He erected fortresses. He banned the observance of God's laws. Uh, Specifically, uh, he banned circumcision. He put a stop to temple sacrifices. That's 11, verse 31. Uh, He offered up a pig... Uh, as a sacrifice, that's an, abomin- uh, an abomination, talked about in 1131. He set up a statue of Zeus inside the temple. He rewarded Jews who forsook God's covenant. And he killed and captured those who stayed faithful to God. Uh, predicted in chapter 11, verse 33. Now, um, how are you feeling at this point? Are you kind of sort of drowning in all of the detail and historical stuff and all that sort of stuff? I can understand that because it's not easy. You know, we're talking about a very different era and different place. It's not easy to wrap your head around this kind of stuff. But the reason why this is important is because hundreds of years earlier, God had revealed it to Daniel in Daniel chapter 11. <laughs> You can read Daniel 11 when you get home today and you can see all of this being uh, foretold. But I must say that after verse 36, the description of the king just doesn't quite seem to fit with Antiochus. And uh, there's a number of different views on that. Uh, Some say that verse 36 refers to the Roman Empire and the rule of the Caesars. That was Calvin's view. Uh, another view, which I think is worth exploring further, is that it may actually refer to the Herodians. Uh, some people uh, have taken a view which I think is quite wrong, and uh, that is that they've, uh, they've said that this refers to some future. The verse 36 and following uh, refers to a, a, a battle that will happen uh, before Jesus returns. And you see that sort of exemplified in things like... There's a book that was put out donkeys years ago called The Late Great Planet Earth. Who's ever read that? No one's read it? Hey, we've got some readers of it. And uh, the, uh, the Left Behind series and so on, it uh, portrays that sort of view. I think this is linked in hist- history, and history that was in the, uh, in the short-term future for Daniel himself. But the question that comes to mind really is what, is what is the value in all of this? I mean, is this vision uh, just a history lesson in advance? And I want to say no. Uh, it was a vision which was designed to comfort and to strengthen God's people, uh, God's people who would endure the suffering of these times. You see, Daniel... Uh, had an advantage. He knew that the power of arrogant rulers is limited. Uh, he'd seen that in his own experience. I mean, you remember King Nebuchadnezzar? He uh, stood up on the roof of his palace one day and he looked, looked down on everything that he could see and he could see the incredible wall that he'd built around the city. He could see the, the hanging gardens of Babylon and 
Uh, he looked at all of that and he said, how great am I? Well, God reduced him to eating grass. Uh, what about uh, Belshazzar? Uh, he, he was interesting. Uh, Belshazzar, King Belshazzar, he used the, the goblets that had been stolen from God's temple in Jerusalem uh, to entertain his mates at this drunken party that he threw. Well, that was the last party he ever attended. Uh, he died that very night. God brings ungodly rulers to an end. And Daniel had experienced that. But this vision was to speak that same message to the Jews of the future, who would be living as the meat in the sandwich between the two warring empires. It also tells them, and it tells us, that the spiritual warfare which is going on in the heavenlies is being played out in our lives. The trials, the persecutions, the struggles which we face are part of the spiritual battle for our souls. Because the evil one with his army, he wants you and me to turn our backs on God. He wants that people should not turn to Christ. He wants that people should join him forever. And so it is a battle for our souls. It is a battle where the strategies are many, where sometimes he will unleash the fire of persecution. In verse, 11, verse 29 of chapter 11, we learn that because of persecution, there were some who would forsake the holy covenant. They would turn their back on God. But take a look at chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You see, it's like, I think one way of understanding it is that it's like Daniel is, is given a pair of bifocal glasses to read. These are not bifocals, by the way. I wish they were. But it's like Daniel is given a pair of bifocals. And so he's given a vision which shows the struggles of the near future for the for the people of God. But in these few verses, in the beginning of chapter 12, he's able to lift his eyes and he can see a vision of a distant future. It's a vision of the long-term spiritual reality called resurrection. It's a vision which tells us that the physical realities of this world 
are not a meaning, meaningless and often painful succession of the survival of the fittest, you know, the, uh, the powerful nation exploiting the weaker nation, the, the strong man oppressing the weak person and so on. It tells us that the physical realities are not merely that. It is not merely the survival of the fittest, but rather that what we see manifested in the physical world is in fact the outworking of the battles that are going on in the spiritual world. Now we see that, uh, for example, in chapter 11, verse 35. Because in 11.35 you'll recall that as Antiochus, returning from his defeat in the south, passing through uh, the area of the Jews, he unleashed his brutality on wise, godly people who under duress, under severe pressure, began to, to stumble. They began to turn away from God. Now, you can imagine that at that point, when godly people are starting to go wobbly at the knees and to falter, that Satan and his army of demons are rejoicing. They're looking forward to the party. They are thinking that they're just about to get a victory over someone's life. But God had his purpose in suffering. Have a look again at verse 35. Some of the wise will stumble so that, and here is the purpose, here is why God has allowed that to happen, here is why God has allowed them to be in that circumstance so that they may be refined through the fire, purified and made spotless until the time of the end, which in chapter 12 is the day of resurrection. When some are resurrected to everlasting life and all others are resurrected to everlasting shame and contempt. Friends, this is one of the few passages in the Old Testament that, uh, that speaks about the resurrection. And as we uh, conclude the book of Daniel... It therefore also points to a future day when God's victory over Satan in the spiritual realms will be evident. It's a day which was future for Daniel. It's a day which we, however, can look back to. The Son of God, arrested, brutalised, nailed to a cross, hanging, dying, pitiful. Satan and his angels thought they had it in the bag. They thought that they were at the edge of victory. But what to earthly eyes, to unspiritual eyes, looked like defeat was in fact God's greatest victory. It was the end game. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says that by dying for our sins, that Jesus has disarmed the spiritual powers 
and authorities that he has triumphed over them by the cross. For he bore the sin of many, for he took our punishment, for he did that which released us from the custody of the evil one in the spiritual realms. And he has proven that by rising from the dead on the third day. The resurrection points us to the victory in the spiritual realms that was achieved by the death of Christ on the cross. And so the book of Daniel ought to give us confidence and comfort that God is in control. That our existence is not just about the struggles of our daily lives, as significant as those struggles and varied as those struggles will be. It's about a great God. Daniel is about a great God who establishes and removes kings and their empires. It's about a great God who is sovereign not only over history, but he's sovereign over your life and my life. No matter what we go through, this book of Daniel tells us that even though we are buffeted by the difficulties of life and whatever the evil one would throw at us, that God is stronger, that God is faithful, that God does not remove himself from our presence. So therefore, press on. Keep trusting in Christ. Keep striving to be godly because Jesus has won the victory. The right man is on our side. And look forward to the resurrection. But I want to say a condition to that. Look forward to the resurrection only if you are a person who is trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and living with him as your saviour. Because in so much that the book of Daniel ought to comfort us and strengthen us through times of difficulty, it ought also to shake us and to challenge us if we are people who are not trusting in Jesus or if we are people who have settled down into life in this world which is, in a sense, Babylon. If we've become comfortable in our lives, satisfied with where we're at, and quite happy not to see ourselves as being citizens of of heaven who are just on a temporary residence visa here, passing through, but if we see ourselves as being citizens of this world, if we are planting ourselves and establishing ourselves and our priorities reflect that we consider that all there is is this material world that we live in, so make the most of it, then the book of Daniel ought to shake us and cause us to tremble. For we too, such a person will be resurrected, but to everlasting shame and contempt. So how is the book of Daniel impacted you. It's been a long journey, hasn't it? Been at it for a few months now. You might want to think about that. How has it impacted you?
you know, I'm tempted to say dare to be a Daniel. And in one sense, we should dare to be a Daniel. A Daniel who didn't make compromises, <clears throat> not even on the small issues. And by not making compromises on the small issues, he was well equipped to not make compromises on the big issues. But we're not Daniel. You're not Daniel, I'm not Daniel. We are the people whom God has made us to be in our circumstances. And so we need to work through these principles and apply them in the situations that God has placed us in as the people who we are. And so what about you then? Have you determined to spend your life trusting and serving God without compromise and no matter the cost. My prayer is that that will be true for each one of us as the people we are in our circumstances. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this ancient and great book of Daniel. We thank you, Father God, that it shows us so clearly how the spiritual battles are played out in this earthly existence. We pray for each one of us that uh, we would have our, sets, our sights set on the heavenly reality, on our heavenly home, for Christ has gained that for us through his death and his resurrection and that therefore that we would live our lives in this world as strangers and aliens but that we would be people who would seek the welfare of the city <clears throat> as the Jews were called to do in Babylon that we would live as citizens of heaven uh, in this world that we would seek to be honouring and glorifying you in whatever circumstances that we are in strengthen us as we sometimes go through difficulties of life, for the evil one would have us fall. Help us to keep trusting in Jesus, looking to him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.